0: Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 6, titled Decoherence. Aaron, you've seen it a few times now. Uh, How do you feel about it?
1: I really, I think I really like what they're doing thematically and like for subject matter in this season, and this was an episode that didn't really have anything for me to like like the track is that they they even did the action scenes very well i thought i was pretty entertained so i think this is the best episode of the season um and i'm really excited to see how they conclude things in two episodes what and whether it's a season uh, finale whether it's a series finale um whether there it's going to be kind of like a, a leftovers season finale where it's definitive but also perhaps with some threads that you could pull in future seasons if they get the funding for it so, yeah, I, I I really, really dug it. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, we've complained a lot in this season about the fight scenes, and it's not just even limited to this season. Um, but honestly, they had maybe the best choreographed action scene in the entire show in this episode. Um, th- there was some, you know, not so great stuff on the other end of that. But, uh, yeah, what they're doing in this episode, they seem to step up their game in the action side, and they've also been... The, the story is starting to come to a head, so I think it's getting more exciting, um, now that we've kind of got these factions all placed to where, it, you know, Decoherence is such a great name for this episode because it seems like everybody has sort of, um, picked a side. And I, I did a little bit of research on Decoherence as a title, um, and what that could mean. And I found out that Decoherence is sort of a concept in quantum mechanics um, quantum systems and i don't know the details i I can't explain it because i'm not a quantum physicist but what i can say is essentially what decoherence is if you think about like a schrodinger's cat kind of thing where the cat is both alive and dead in in any given moment until you observe it and then it becomes alive or dead think of that change between alive and dead to alive or dead as decoherence like quantum decoherence and that describes so many of the people in this episode right like where they're coming down on this battle is sort of decohering in this episode uh to where they're kind of firming up their stance and some of it is because they've been leaning that way for a long time but some of that is because they're in a different body and things got weird and maybe their family got blown up uh some of it is because Maybe their lover got killed by their enemy uh, who didn't necessarily have to be their enemy. And now they've they've sort of decided they're going to uh, go all out in this war. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good title. And those are the things that are exciting me is is the story starting to really take shape. And there this season, there hasn't been a ton of trickery yet, although I think we see that in the fringes. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's been easier to follow, I think. And so I've been kind of more excited in general about it. Yeah, and I
1: really dig the idea that they're messing with here with these hosts for the first time getting emotional cornerstones that are real and genuine to their own experience. Like they no longer have a fictitious death of a fictitious child they now have a malicious death of of their lover. They now mm-hmm. have a senseless destruction of of their family, and they even play around that because I think what like Mave and Hector had is as real as anything you can get in the world. But as Dolores Prime tried to point out to Halora several times this episode, this isn't your real family. She's essentially committing the same thing that that uh, Mave did, where mm-hmm. she realizes that this isn't her real family. But she also f- realizes that her feelings, uh, that Dolores Prime decided to let them all keep, are are real, and that's worth fighting and protecting. and And I wonder if there's some suggestion that there that like this uh, burnt out husk of Haloris might have a lot in common with Maeve now, especially if Haloris starts blaming Dolores for what happened rather than herself or circumstance or humans or. Yeah. Um, But it's, you know, th- these these hosts have been like very pretentious about lecturing humans on their limitations and whatnot. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see them wrestle with, you know, what do you do when vengeance is what you want, but it serves none of your long term goals? Are you going to mm-hmm. be able to put that emotional need for vengeance aside uh, and override your cornerstone uh, rationally and make a choice? Or are you going to be as helpless as humans when you're caught? in in these conunders. And I think that stuff is just really fascinating. Yeah. And how does that play into free will and all, all those big questions, right? Yeah. And then that's not even touching the human side of the equation, what they're doing with William over in his uh, VR therapy session. Um, I want to suggest though, that like, I think one of the reasons the action was particularly good is, um, I haven't paid attention to what directors they've been using throughout the season, but I know that this is Jennifer Getzinger's first introduction to Westworld direction. um, but it's interesting because i looked up her, her career and she kind of cut her teeth as a a script supervisor uh on the sopranos and early season she followed matthew weiner from sopranos to Mad Men. and then she graduated to direction she directed the fantastic uh, episode the suitcase which is one of the finest performances you'll ever see out of john hammond elizabeth moss which is saying something got a dga nomination for outstanding directorial achievement and then took those dramatic chops and then did a couple seasons of jessica jones she directed a few episodes of marvel's daredevil which say what you will about those franchises the action scenes were fucking amazing and this is the type of director they need for westworld you need to be able to get the wrenching emotion but you also got to fucking bring it on the slick action and she did um mm-hmm. and it came with like I said Tessa Thompson as I mentioned instant take has some um, action, uh, uh, starring experience. Um, and I think that stuff is all valuable and it came together into one of the, clearly the best action sequence of this season. Um, oh, yeah. and rivals the 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 best of the series uh, of all. So and you know it's really exciting. Jennifer comes back and directs the finale all right so when i am is that f- four episodes three episodes from now T- yeah. two episodes no it's two it's, episodes it's an eight I, a, I, yeah I'm lost. yeah penultimate next week and then the the finale so i'm i'm Jeez. very excited about the sprint to the finish of the season yeah yeah me too hey i want to take a break to talk to you about a new feature we're experimenting with here at bald move it's the concept of a twitch.tv watch party uh, Twitch is owned by Amazon, and Amazon is allowed to select part of their Prime catalog to be live watched on the Twitch.tv platform. And what's cool is uh, Jim and I have long dreamed to have the ability to like record commentary or reactions to like shows that we like. And we've been having a lot of fun. Uh, we've been doing a progressive series where we're re-watching Star Trek The Next Generation from season one. We're about halfway through season or about a third of the way through season one. Uh, we do those just kind of all over the place. We're kind of bouncing them around to, to see, experiment which one sticks because it's episodic show. And format doesn't really matter if you miss a few episodes. But we're also starting uh, on Friday nights at 9 p.m. Every Friday night for the next couple weeks, we're going to be watching two episodes of Uh, The Amazon Prime show, The Expanse, which is really good. Like I, uh, a lot of, I I describe, is this a fair way to describe it, Jim? Uh, It's Game of Thrones in space.
0: Yeah, I've described it that way many times.
1: It's very like gritty, realistic, like politically, uh, militarily, technologically. What a a solar system wide struggle between uh, populations living in the belt, populations living on Mars and populations living on good old Mother Terra.
0: Plus, super compelling uh, character drama.
1: Some great compelling, and then like you know, also just a, just enough crazy technology and biology going to keep things interesting. Uh, and we're watching them. You can you can watch it live if you have a Twitch.tv account, which is free. And if you are an Amazon Prime member, uh, all you got to do is join those things together and you can join in our Expanse Watch, our Next Generation Watch. Uh, check baldmove.com. We have these articles when uh, when they're about to go live where it has instructions on how to sign up for Twitch, how to link your Amazon Prime account, and then how you can watch along with this. Because once you get it all, sec- uh, uh, once you get it all synced up, you just watch the episode. We're up there in the corner. We're talking. We're making jokes. We're pointing out insightful things. It's a, it's a really good time. We're getting a lot of people watching it and It's a lot of fun. Just want to let you guys know that. Keep your eye out on baldmove.com or follow us on our social media
0: if you want to get in on the next few watch parties. Should we get into the recap? We probably should. Okay. We start off with Maeve in the Valley Beyond remembering her daughter. And uh, Serac shows up to offer her a second chance to take out Dolores, thereby earning her place in paradise. Uh, Maeve wants help and Serac promises it and then Maeve wakes up in warworld again where she quickly asserts her dominance over the simulated characters just to have a little fun this time yeah just just
1: uh let off, uh, let, off let off some steam yeah i still think this is this is this, is this is weird and awkward because it's um Something that I think if if I'm representing the audience is not something we're like super excited to see. It's like, oh we're stuck in a simulation and she's gonna beat these Nazis and we know none of it matters and it's just a loading screen. It's literally like a say like a you died in a video game and you're watching a very long loading scene because you got a <laughs> shitty old hard drive and these are big textures and it's gonna take a while and you're gonna read a bunch of game tips over and over and over again. But it then mid-episode, they turn it into something really genuine with an emotional core, which I thought was was really good. Um, it is bizarre, though, that they set this up as uh, Serac kind of threatening, threatening her with like ro- offering robot heaven as a reward and threatening her with robot hell. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know they're intentionally doing all the religious stuff, but it's just as weird to see a guy enter a simulation and taunt her with
0: that kind of stuff. So let's talk about that because I hit on, I think you hit on something that I haven't seen anyone discuss um, in relation to Sirach. We've seen him take Maeve, what we think is out of the simulation, uh, and speak with her in person or perhaps in hologram form. Mm-hmm. He's now in here inside the simulation. And, you know, we've long talked about Sirach maybe not being a real person, being some manifestation of Rehoboam. You think there's any. There's any more credence to that uh, idea now that we've seen him inside the simulation? Well, someone pointed out on Reddit that there's this particular statue that Maeve sees
1: when she wakes up in War war World. Um, It's this bronze bust of a woman, and she sees it in uh, every start of the simulation, and someone pointed it out that that statue's also in uh, Serac's kind of jungle architect concrete factory hangout that he had in the first season and Mm -hmm. if you go with the humans like are lazy when they're programming simulation and they reuse assets it's a pretty strong hint that that environment that he was in it was was uh, also a simulation and you could almost ask the question has Maeve actually made it out into the real world ever um yeah. So yeah, I don't that doesn't really answer your question, but it does show that there's def there's there's right. been a lot more hints about Serac inhabiting uh simulated spaces that we haven't seen that don't that also don't ex, uh obey the aspect ratio rule. Just like in the first episode, they didn't obey the aspect ratio ru- rule and they justified that by saying, well the host didn't know they were in a simulation. Well, mm-hmm. That's why it's somewhat frustrating for people to say, like, well, you guys, this this is not as hard as you're making it out to be. Just pay attention to what's, you know, in six, nine aspect ratio. And I'm like, no, because if Maeve thinks she's in the real world, she would not that they would not have that tell. And that's one of the tricksy things they they deployed the season to kind of let us to let us know to be expecting some some weirdness. And there's a lot. I mean, talking about decoherence there's a lot of interesting things that we've theorized like oh well maybe we're seeing two separate si- simulations where they really really strongly suggest and maybe even demonstrate proof that that's happening uh that we'll get to later on but yeah, yeah. um the only thing i can think of is was he a real person on the quadcopter coming into the Dalos campus uh and standing in charlotte's old office he's clearly a simulated person in the boardroom Mm. how how no one was wearing glasses does he have a like a hollow transmitter that people carry
0: like yeah i think so like every time they well not every time but a lot of the time when they show a hologram being formed or being Mm. uh kind of decohered um Mm -hmm. they show the the projector right before that Mm -hmm. like a little device that sort of looks like a security camera right um, which i'm assuming is a projector Yeah, I just think that, like, the vast majority of times
1: we've seen him on screen, he's been turned out to be a a hologram. We either see him get a bullet in the head and he's a hologram or Dolores walks through him or he's explicitly a hologram or he's in a simulated environment. I think it's fair to ask, are we positive 100% that we've seen him in scenes in the real world? Like, when he he beats uh, Insight Senior to death on an airplane wing probably a physical but you could even say that might be a rohoboam simulation Uh you know that that we're that we're watching so like yeah i'm I'm prepared to accept that he is is a complete simulation or some kind of thing that's inhabiting rohoboam for sure
0: um i think one of the things we haven't questioned too much at least certainly this season um Uh is something that I couldn't help but think in this scene when um, they're talking about Maeve's memory and how it's perfect and how uh, you have no past because it's the present, right? Um, th- that idea is interesting to me from like a perspective on time kind of thing um, perspective on reality, essentially like what does a host think about their past? Do they see it as a separate time and place or do mm. they see it as something that they can access perfectly and, um, in any given moment. And so therefore the past sort of becomes their present literally to them. Yeah. Like in think, a Dr. Manhattan kind of way, right. Without maybe the foresight of the future. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I also think
1: it says something about like a simulation too, that like, if you ran a host through a whole bunch of simulations, they might be, uh, you, they, they might have a uniquely hard time detecting that because like their idea of deja vu, like, huh, yeah. like if Maeve has full access to every iteration of herself through Westworld, like the idea that she could detect in any one particular loop that she was on, which loop she was on, how many times she'd been through it, whether it all blends together. I think that's another thing that they're using uh, kind of like to blur the lines between what's real and what's simulated, what might be happening in the past, what might be what might have happened in the present, what is simulated to happen and is diverging from the present. I, I think that stuff is all really super interesting.
0: And I feel like they're not quite taking advantage of it because you you look at Maeve especially and like the idea that she has both a perfect memory and also a bulk app perception that is off the freaking charts when it comes to humans. Right. She should be literally the smartest person on the planet and have insight into things that people did that they themselves wouldn't have insight into because of that perfect memory. It's it's almost impossible to do that as a writer um, because you are not actually that that bulk apperceptively yeah, smart right yeah
1: you have to invent something smarter than yourself
0: yeah it's really hard um so i'm i'm giving them a pass on that but i don't she's feel also, like mave is as smart as i want her to be given her attributes she's also limited by
1: the processing power available to her which is essentially whatever's in the simulation or whatever her natural you know biological hardware gives her the marble is what i'm saying here uh, it'd be interesting to see like a Mave consciousness inhabiting like a networked neural net of a, a, a of a thousand brain marbles, right? Oh yeah, like cloud. to see, yeah. And I, uh, that's something they maybe even could play with. Like I was I was thinking today, like you've got this thing where you got um, five physical Doloreses running around causing chaos and fighting Rehoboam. What if you? And I started thinking about, like, remember we talked about um, that chandelier in the episode where we see the, you know, man in black losing a shit in his mansion. It comes crashing down. It's five pearls surrounding the Bernard sphere. It's like, what if you assembled a bunch of host marbles in some kind of network like that to explicitly do battle against Rehoboam, to out, try to outsmart it, out predict yeah. it, plan it? Um, hmm. That might be some foreshadowing um, because we haven't. I thought we were going to lose a marble, but they recovered Connell's. So we still have all five of the marbles intact. We could still maybe network them together, Bernard, and like form some kind of fifth element type super weapon against Rehoboam, which I think would yeah. be cool or would be something neat to play around with
0: um, in, a, in a future season, like an sure. Omni Mave. <laughs> all right, let's move on to William in Group Therapy. He expresses his opinion that humanity is a virus designed to speed the entropic death of the planet, uh, one which I share. The group is upset by that opinion. Later on, his therapist tells her that he should try AR therapy to confront what happened with Emily. He claims, I know the truth. I don't need therapy. And while he's explaining uh, how he feels about it, his therapist is getting her profile sent to her on her phone, and she is shook. Yeah, this is all interesting stuff, like how
1: misanthropic the man in black has become. Like, you know, the humanities of bacterial film are here to speak. <laughs> you know, all this, there were maggots eating a corpse, and Uh, then, you know, we saw him around the mansion, like waving a gun around that doesn't, didn't seem like he wanted to kill himself was in denial about how, what, what role he played in, uh, killing his daughter still kind of in denial about the role he had in the death of his, of his wife, the suicide of his wife. Um, Hmm. but now he's kind of getting, gaining acceptance about what he did with his daughter and says, I belong in a pine box. Like if he had a gun right now, he, he might do himself in, um, which then, yeah, like I think- I, all this stuff, this imagery um, with the the therapist sobbing, getting her reports, and then killing herself in the next scene, um, it's just incredible in the context of William seeing this, like in some kind of
0: drug tripped VR state. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I'm one of the things I'm most confused about this episode is the sedation and the limbic system and how all that's working and affecting. William yeah. in, in any given scene yeah. because they they at various points like give him you know desert oasis for an hour but then it doesn't work or something and they try and sedate him with another limbic thing which I assume isn't gonna work I, yeah it's it's a little confusing it's probably the most confusing thing in this episode so yeah there is a trippy quality to all of this
1: yeah uh, you especially wonder... even outside of the AR stuff right yeah yeah um I did think there was definitely I have a definite opinion for when his simulated therapy started, which I was kind of up in the air when I'd seen it the first time, but I've seen it three times now, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got a pretty good timeline of events, and I don't think we're we're there yet.
0: Okay, um, I don't either. Uh,
1: at least where you've you've narrated is too. I want to point out a couple things. Um, that uh, when we see the therapist reports uh, a, re- a report on herself that. Um, her recommend we we talked about this in instant take, but you know, she said that she's she's got a uh she's gonna spin out of control uh, and lose her family uh because she's got a uh prescription uh drug addiction problem and she's sleeping mm-hmm. with her patients. And I recommended her to work in patient services but be restricted to cat U patients. Cat U is we I, I think people think are like the unfit category, which is what Caleb falls under, his classification is U2. So this terrible therapist who's addicted to drugs and is prone to sleeping with them and abusing them in that way is going to be assigned to unfit patients. Again, it gives you another hint okay. of how Rehoboam kind of shuffles the deck and, and, and puts its thumb on scales to make sure you know, you're not, you're not, not going to get the best treatment. Um, and you're yeah. going to get treatment that's not going to work for you because you're, you're, the people that are treating you are, are sick themselves. I thought that was really, that was really cool.
0: Yeah, it's um, sort of like a perpetually broken class of people uh, Yeah, that are yeah. being, you know, shuffled, like you said, into those categories.
1: And I thought it's also interesting, Kim Renfro, um, our buddy over Insider, pointed this out, that on Natasha's desk is a book called I Was There by Hans Richter, which is a novel about uh, two boys who joined the Hitler Youth, uh, kind of like Jojo Rabbit. Um, and that's interesting in that you've got uh, – you know, that's a quintessential case of like a, a, a diluted, demented nurturing, you know, like indoctrination into like this death cult and kind of the how individually powerless you are to resist it. I thought that was interesting to have on this uh, uh, unfit therapist hmm. desk.
0: Yeah, I wish I had maybe seen that earlier because like we, we do have an instance of two children uh, <laughs> who have created something of a cult. Mm, in this show with yeah. Serac and his brother. You're right. You're right. Uh, but I don't have any analysis because literally just making that connection. <laughs> um, So I, I think all of this is pretty firmly grounded in the timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get the profile sent out. Um, so we kind of can connect some dots here. Uh, there is always a possibility of simulations and stuff. Sure. But I, I'm, I'm really appreciating things that things are starting to come together yeah. a little bit more in this season. Yeah, you're starting to see patterns and timelines for him. Yeah, and it's it's making me feel comfortable enough to where a big twist at the end won't feel like this huge confusing thing. It might actually shed some more light onto the season. Yeah. It is, ag- it's at least my hope. Agreed, agreed. All right, we go to William being strapped down and given a limbic implant, and his blood sample is also taken, and it's pretty abnormal. And afterward, he sees his therapist hang herself. Yeah.
1: Um, so I, I question whether this could be a delusion for in the instant take about uh, William being secretly afraid that he is a host. And this is, this is his worst confirmation. And then it kind of gets corrupted. And but now this is an entirely different room from him. There's no way this is a simulation for his benefit or uh, some kind of psychosis. This is real information. And it looks like there is some kind of program running that will alert an outside entity when these unknown proteins are detected, these synthetic markers are found. So now I think it's fair to say that what uh, uh, Holoris did when she jabbed William is not take something from him, but embed these synthetic markers so they could track him. Um, And this is real information. Then you see this data breach and this information is sent to some uh, server in Sonora, Mexico, which I think what's weird is that that is where this uh, inward journeys place is located at i believe so yeah based so,
0: on the tracking that holores does later
1: yeah it, it didn't make sense that it's sending i don't know i, I thought that was that 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 was weird um or yeah, maybe what they're saying is it's broadcast from sonora and it's going out as a recipient server but i i was unclear um yeah. but but what we're seeing is later on holores will see this message come through uh, on the other side of it so i still have a question about why this was necessary with all that we know about dolores prime what she knows and her plan but we'll get to that a little bit i guess a little bit later
0: yeah and there could be something else trickier i I don't know i was looking at the scene where holores finds williams marker um Mm -hmm. and there's some strange like uploading versus downloading and recipient server stuff there which maybe we can talk about
1: yeah, it's I think they're using these terms almost intentionally deceptive to know to not know what the destination is, not know where the where you're starting from, where you're going, who's sending it, who's requesting it, is it being pushed or pulled? I think yeah. they're
0: intentionally playing with that, for sure. Okay. Um let's move on to the divergence in San Francisco, uh, where Holoris leaves her son with her ex who has decided not to view his profile. She shares a moment with him and then heads out to a board meeting with a member who is going to vote in her favor uh, for taking Delos private. Unfortunately, he's killed by a couple guys before they can vote, and Sorak informs uh, Holoris that he's coming to Delos to check uh, out his new acquisition. Charlotte calls Dolores to apologize for failing, and Dolores asks her to get that host-making data out of Delos before Sorak destroys it, telling her when she's done, they'll build the new world together.
1: Let's talk. Let's just, so let's let's rewind this to the divergence, the wild divergence going on in San Francisco. You asked in the um, early part of this about whether I had thought about that May symbol. Um, mm-hmm. actually, can I take a drink? Because my man's really dry yeah. in here.
0: I need one too.
1: So I want to rewind back to the beginning of your. Um, you know, synopsis there where we talked about the wild divergence displayed in San Francisco. Did we, did you think about any more about the human spray painting, the May symbol on the wall? We know we saw that same symbol spray painted in the tunnel and the, uh, that, that the Dolores come staggering out of at the end of episode one of this season. Did you give any more thought of that? Yeah, no, they have, they
0: have been sort of embedding it in
1: scenes very subtly though. I wonder if this is like some kind of emergent, they're suggesting that like, um, humans are about to undergo a new epoch of consciousness. Like we're not fully conscious in the way that the host pointed out last season and that we still are kind of slaves to these evolutionary drives and desires that are inside us and we don't understand them. And all these biases that work against us, that we're only barely consciously aware of the operator our subconscious that like, just like, uh, you know, I read that sapiens book that something like, uh, 200,000 years ago uh, humans were essentially modernly, anatomically, you know, modern, but only 70,000 years ago we achieved consciousness like there's maybe another step of consciousness because Arnold explained to Dolores that he used to envision consciousness and, and a, a, uh, a synthetic being striving towards true consciousness as a pyramid. That, you know, you Mm -hmm. have memories and improvisations and that would lead to that process of awakening. And he thought that he realized that that model was flawed and what it really is is like a maze where you're going deeper and deeper inside yourself. And you make choices and those choices lead you either further inward to a more understanding of yourself or can lead you spiraling out of the maze and get lost and and fall into madness. And I wonder, because I thought maybe in previous seasons that Arnold had embedded his maze concept as a blueprint for the the host to follow. But I felt like in last season, they showed that really he was inspired by the maze toy his child had. And that maze was seen by robots. And that is what's like. It wasn't something he put inside them. It's more of like them seeing this concept, this foreign concept of the maze as, um, they get, became obsessed with it and what it could mean to them. And I wonder if they're suggesting that humans on the outside are going through the same secondary. Since we are, they've established us all being on loops and us all being largely under control. Whether we are to attaining the second level of consciousness that the host got last season, um,
0: I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think it's super interesting because so far they've set up this dichotomy between hosts and humans, mm. where hosts are somehow you know better better suited to uh make true decisions um things like that and and they've always asserted like humans can't do that but what if humans evolved right like we have many many times before right. with just you know the power of the mistake uh it would be interesting to see a season four where the hosts have to sort of come to some kind of uh understanding that humans are not like this this entity that's sort of rigid and stuck in time it can change and evolve just the way that they can. Mm-hmm. It's just that we're not as far maybe along on that path yet. Yeah, And that should be interesting. That should be
1: easy for a host to understand because they're the hosts that are actually consciousness or, or achieve consciousness are very small compared to the overall number of hosts in a park, you yeah. know? And like when a, when a woke host to goes to a deluded host and tries to explain it to them, they are unable to cope with it, unable to process just as unable to change their core drives as humans are. Cause that's what Bernard said. It's like, you know, uh, a host is unique in that they can examine their drives and then question them and change them where humans can examine and question, but they can't change, you know, they're too, we're too mm. emotional we're too locked in or too rigid. Um, I, I think that's that's got what they got to be suggesting that else this is all simulation and this is all some kind of Ford game that's being played or Rehoboam is <laughs> artificially putting out some kind of subconscious maze pattern that people are triggered into. Like, I feel like the simplest answer is this is some kind of emergent realization that like everyone has this kind of like inward. And and the, and the fact that like Williams uh, facility that he's being sent to is reflected in this not journey upwards, but inwards because his facility is called inward journeys. Um, it all Mm. goes back to that, that, that maze, that game. Um, and you know, from that standpoint, maybe Ford was hoping that William would attain this consciousness that perhaps Ford and Arnold are the only two people that have ever attained a high level of consciousness. Um, but I, 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 like I said, that's the good stuff that Westworld traffic's in that I think is just fucking fascinating. Absolutely. Um, also uh, a couple other things. Um, Jake, if you sp- uh, pause at his screenshot of his uh, um, future or his uh, his report that he didn't open, um, it does say that he's classified as G, which you know a lot of people in the Westworld it's fandom good. are assuming. If you if as you is unfit um, mm-hmm. or uh, unauthorized or unsimulatable, then G is like good, um, which I think good to go. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a good guy, which. Uh, William will later assert that he's a good guy, too. And finally, uh, we got a, a bunch of feedback on this, uh, but there's an Inso painting, a Japanese circle painting uh, that's in Jake's apartment here. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of interesting parallels between, like, you know, it being a painting of a circle and Rehoboam and Rehoboam's circle and it being complete or imperfect. And there's a whole bunch of analysis in that art form waiting for in the feedback section if you're interested.
0: So okay cool uh there's one other thing i really like that they're doing here from like a plot perspective Uh where serac is using this chaos that is caused by dolores like her actions are resulting in an opportunity for serac to take advantage of to kill the board member that was trying to vote for the privatization of delos Mm -hmm. i really like using that as a mask it's just a nice piece of plotting Yeah. yeah yeah how you know the the Villain the hero. I don't know what Dolores is at this point, but uh, best laid plans, right? Yeah, and they even they they talked they talked about that. Um, do you want to
1: talk about the simi- the clothing simulation theory now, or wait until the the circle gets smoothed out later? Yeah, let's talk about it in the boardroom. Scene. Okay, there's one other thing I want to talk about, which is this. Uh, Dolores calls uh, you know, or Holores cl- calls Dolores Prime and says she failed, and uh, they had this conversation about. Um, you know they're not your family we're your family and she's like yeah that's right damn it why do we keep these emotions and she goes well if we change we talked about that if we change ourselves just to survive would it even matter if we did and that did harken. We've talked about this uh, theorized about like that 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 Teddy killing himself was a big moment for Dolores because right before he died, Teddy was complaining about being changed, and Dolores said, "Well, I changed you so you could survive." And he said, "What's the use of surviving' We've become just as bad as them." That was in the vanishing point episode. I think that's clearly is like Dolores was a corner – a true genuine cornerstone for Dolores, like where she. Learned a new piece of information about herself. Um, but yeah, but also it's so funny because these hosts, even though it's it's funny to talk about them innocent, naive as babes, because they've seen, the you know, they've, they've been in this murder rape simulator for their entire mm-hmm. like being in the womb. Right. So you think they'd come out jaded and experienced as hell, but they really don't. They, they, they didn't have these cornerstones. they like everything you can say is like it's and, and when something real happens to them, it changes them like permanently in a way that's not easy to think about them changing back. Like when Dolores saw Teddy blow his brain out, when uh, Mave sees Hector get unplugged, like these things are going to sear into their memory and be very, very it's just interesting that they popped out and they had this like kind of perfect state and they're already falling from that grace or so it feels like to me the story they're telling they're already they're already eating these apples as oh, yeah. fast
0: as they can grow in the trees um and i mean changes are gonna happen right and that's exemplified uh by uh the change of hors from the kind of base state of dolores right she's she's changing by her experiences that's gonna happen yeah and i also wonder you know is if you change yourself just to survive, when you're made in the image of something you despise, mm. I could almost see that as being a good thing. Yeah, like you—you you are created to be so much like us. Why wouldn't you want to change that? Yeah, and I—and—and and your survival might, in fact, depend on it. Yeah. I'd, I don't know. What it, said, it's an interesting uh, question, and I don't think Dolores has figured out everything. Though you're right, she has learned lessons along. And the as way.
1: you said, that like they are changing, and they even like that's something we've speculated and talked about before that. But this episode made explicit when uh, Maeve is um, interrogating uh, the Lottl, Let's call her the the uh, <laughs> the Connell, okay. the Connell clone of her. Um, she uh, she kind of reflects about like, yeah, I used to be her, but we've had different paths and, and she, I, she, she already changes, but, and, and so, so we can see that, yes, these are all Dolores, but because of the roles they played and the shapes they've been molded into, they're already changing and they're already like to the point that they have a hard time thinking about things and the way she thinks about them. I think it is again, fucking fascinating.
0: Yeah. And that's why uh, decoherence is such a good name for this episode because yeah. it's got the quantum side, but then it's also got the group cohesion being lost, right? I wonder Between if... Between all these these host changes. The thing
1: is, is like, man, Dolores is really being cold to her clones because, you know, she says, oh, you're not going to get caught. You're going to be fine. It's like, oh, did you promise that to Connells? And she says, you know, you're mine. I'm yours. Play your part. We'll build this world together. I don't think any of that is sincere. I don't think that this Holoris bot is any more or less precious to Dolores as any other tool that she's using. And I wonder if maybe what she did is sacrificed her own quote unquote humanity by turning off her emotions. Like if Dolores prime did sever her emotions and Hmm. she's just pimping stone cold out there. um, But she wants, and again, this goes into my theory that she knows that she, her role is a doomed one. She wants to liberate people. And then her purpose will be, you know, played, played, and she can die and leave the future of hu- human host th- guys like Caleb and Bernard who are not destroyed by the process. She's like a very Frodo character. Like she has to bear this one ring and this burden and it, it's like, she's going to save the world, but it not be for her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's actually kind of plays right into the idea that I think a lot of people are onto now uh, may have been onto a long time ago. But the idea that the encryption key that Serac is looking for, mm. he might be looking in the wrong place. It might actually be in Bernard, mm. and that could be his role to play yeah. um, so once she's gone. And he's the only one. Because she
1: knows she's sacrificial. He's the only one that's irreplaceable because he's
0: got the key. Right. Damn, that makes a lot of sense. It it makes a lot of sense. The more I thought about it when I heard somebody say that, I was like, oh, Actually, that's probably exactly. And, where and you going can even see like an in
1: scene of the season where like Dolores is dying because you know, and and you know uh, maybe there's a grody looking Dolores that's still burnt and all fucked up like a piece of wadded up chewing gum. Um, like, oh, we're supposed to build the world together, and she's like, yes, but this is the role I had to play, and I didn't lie because you still have all these other Doloreses and Bernard and you know, uh, but she's yeah. but she's going to die because. And, and that will also redeem her character because right now we're like oh god what a fucking monster Dolores is she's using these other copies of herself well if she's yes but if she's using herself in the same capacity that makes her she's not she's literally not asking anything of them that she's not going to ask of herself
0: and you almost need something like yeah. that for Dolores's character because she's becoming more and more monstrous sure. as these copies of herself diverge yep. and you um, see because what? now she's not you know using herself to get these these means done she's actually using individuals different people right even though they were all started as copies of her they have their own drives and needs and loves and yeah yeah so if you want to bring it back around to where dolores is a hero figure you, you kind of need something like that yeah uh okay let's move on to dr alpert giving william ar therapy where he sees a flashback to his childhood with an abusive father when william makes a fuss uh the old william not young william he's sedated
1: Interesting when they we see this book that Billy's reading, uh, that princess looked a lot like Dolores. Blonde oh, yeah. looks like a blue, like as, as much as a black and white, it's shaded to look like it's a darker blue kind of color. It's got the long sleeves, the long blonde hair. Um, seems like already there's a divergence between what he sees himself in these books, which is the noble hero, and what he becomes in Westworld. I thought that stuff was there's a lot of interesting color theory going on and the various versions of Williams that we'll talk about when we get to the all William all the time therapy session. Um, But yeah, I just fucking, I, and I think, I don't think that he, uh, my, my theory is that he never wakes up out of therapy. Like as soon as they put the goggles on him, like that stuff where he bites his finger and all that stuff, that's, that's not literally happening in the real world. I don't
0: think. Okay. I I could buy that. This is the last time. We actually see him outside of the AR, yeah. until the very end. Yeah. Um. Th- there's also a, an implication here that they're somehow getting the data about his childhood out of his own head, uh. Because, well, this isn't yet a Delos facility, right? They they would not have access to the right. the recordings of his shit inside Westworld, so they must be getting this data from somewhere about his childhood, or and so it's just generating itself but how would they know what to generate for a man who has a very specific it's like, memory it's like it's like a like a like, like
1: an lsd trip and you go back and you meet your childhood you know it's like how did the lsd know it's all in it's all unlocked so once they put this limbic implant and they shoot it up with the drugs and strap the goggles to it i wonder if it's more of like it just goes with what you're suggesting or you no, know, I, I guess you're right. It has to s- in an AR world. Yeah, yeah, you right. Think
0: they would have to read and then reproduce some kind of imagery. No,
1: you're right. But I wonder if it can read and read. Well, they don't have the halo technology. Presumably, that's something they need out of the Delo stuff, because like they they I. I yeah, or I, I don't, well, we also had that thought that they could read things through the limbic implant, that it's not just Well, well that's a, the thing, yeah,
0: that's where I'm going with this, is not that it's a problem, but that it sort of proof. betrays the fact that they might be reading everyone who's got these limbic implants. Yeah. They might be reading all
1: of their memories at this all times. This isn't a one-way communication where you're putting things into the brain, you can also take things
0: out through that implant. Yeah, that's pretty... Right. I like that, I like that. Okay, so then Zorak shows up, we think, in person at Delos and locks down the facility he does, and man. this is just the walk and talk scene uh where I always find it hilarious when a character says something that's meant to mentally stop a character in their tracks and, it, and they literally physically stop in their tracks uh, and it, nobody turns around and says are you coming yeah, we're doing a thing yeah, here the, are you coming with us super what I just said really hit you hard didn't it yeah it looks super sus
1: Super uh-huh. sus that uh, you literally were stopped dead in your tracks, yeah. Yeah, yeah hilarious. Uh-huh. Uh, it's uh, it's the art of this the cinema. You're not supposed to... <laughs> it's a heightened realism, yeah. You're not supposed to notice those things, Jim. Fair.
0: Uh, anything to say about this walk and talk, or should we keep nah, going? Nah, let's move on. Okay, Mae finishes her fun and joins Lee at a simulated bar, and she realizes that her core has been moved to a body printing tank Along with several friends and what she calls an extra gift.
1: How do you do you you, you uh, you've taken Italian, Jim? How do you say that boat? The word uh, that's for like bow tie pasta. It's like far farfalle, uh, f- farfalle, farfalle. Uh, farfalle. Do you know what that means in Italian? N-
0: butterfly. Yeah,
1: yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah. And so that ties into the Mariposa Saloon, which is Spanish for butterfly.
0: Oh. And
1: uh, cuz I looked at this Taverna della uh, fa, 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 Fafali. um and yeah <laughs> it essentially it. means mariposa saloon. Uh and I also I don't know huh. why cuz the Italians call bow tie pasta butterfly pasta. Why mm-hmm. why we should just go on butterfly pasta. That's way cooler than bow tie pasta. Or butterfly ties. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I for now on bow tie pasta is dead to me. It's butterfly pasta.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, I don't know Lee's back and I'm happy and I think Lee might stick around which makes me even more happy I want to see yeah, at least in spirit if not in form I want to see
1: Lee in a Hector body I want to see yeah. nerdy weird uh, unconfident insecure uh, it's,
0: Lee stuffed in this fucking heroic body <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing so fantastic uh, so we know this extra gift that she's talking about is Dolores and by the end of the episode we understand that now Here's the question I have. Um, well, two questions. A, why does her whole body need to be re- reprinted if she's just stabbed through the heart? That's a That's damn kind good of just question. Like a... I also, I don't know why that deactivates her.
1: Um, like, again. It, yeah. Because uh, it's probably simulation, and that was just, like, she's failed. I, Yeah, man, I, I don't know. I, I do not know. Uh, I do know from the feedback we got that a lot of people got confused with what's going on here. Yeah, four bodies being printed, and Maeve is seeing all this. And and remember, later on, uh, when uh, Serac's taking over at noon, he says there's three additional assets that we need out of Westworld, which would correspond to the three bodies plus one for Maeve. So we know mm-hmm. she originally wanted a, a, a trio of three hosts to join her. But this other, this, this moldy looking green damaged marble that comes in all dented and busted up, that's not Hector no. um, or anyone else from Westworld, which some people misunderstood. That's actually the Connells, the Delano, uh host that they blew yeah. up and they recovered her marble from that burnt out corpse uh, and are now plugging it in. And that's what she's going to interrogate. It's not a simulation of Dolores. It's not, uh, it's the yeah. actual Connell Dolores brainstem
0: plugged into the simulation just like Maeve is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Which leads me to my second question. Who are the other two hosts that we haven't seen? We've seen the four bodies being printed, Maeve and Hector. There are two left. Well, some people...
1: So In previous seasons, they've shown a lot of host control panels, and these host control codes are uh, have been preserved. So we knew what Hector's was, and we already knew Hector's when one's bring them back, but one of them... Is uh, Clementine?
0: Okay, that was going to be my guess. Clementine and Armistice are my, yeah. my two guesses because they were sort of all, you know, traveling together for a long time, and they would be considered friends. And right? then the
1: third one, I think, is probably Armistice. Um, yeah. but some people suggested some other, like the um the samurai world version of Armistice or the samurai version world, the uh, Musashi, uh, uh, like you know, double lucky just Hector. is no.
0: There's no choice as Clear and as good and as amazing as having Armistice and Lee in a Hector body interacting. So I think so that's, I have to go with Armistice. I think
1: that's going to. I think that's going to happen because I think next episode, what's probably going to happen is they're going to get Clementine and they're going to get uh, Armistice out of storage uh, before mm-hmm. they pulled their brains out. And then they're gonna come back in a body and then Hector's they're gonna have one spare body and there's gonna be Lee. So yeah. Yeah. The armistice interacting with Lee inside Hector is gonna be <laughs> fucking
0: comedy gold. Oh my god, I can't wait. I cannot wait. I don't even that is probably the most excited I've been in this entire season. And also
1: I don't even know what kind of Clementine they're
0: gonna get back.
1: Like if they that that was a deeply disturbed yeah. and fucked up like jacked up program clementine by the time that last season was over so i don't know if uh mave is going to be able to lay hands on her and heal all that shit or what but like it's also it'd be interesting if she gets like a zombie clementine uh a a a real armistice and then a that's like some kind of fucking crazy (laughs) dirty dozen she's going to be taking doing these missions with
0: Oh yeah, it's a soon to be pissed off Armitage. <laughs>
1: that's a mis—that's a ragtag misfit group of hosts. Is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love
0: it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, so we kind of already talked about this, but Serac wants three assets out of the park and everything else destroyed. He wants all of the employees tested for copies of Dolores. So Charlotte, you know, after stopping literally in her tracks uh, when he mentions the idea of a host excuses herself immediately after this and goes to storage to back all of the data up and she is caught and has to kill a guy uh,
1: there's also some interesting things here so like at noon when he takes over Serac looks at his Rehoboam watch and that fat fuzzy indistinct circle turns back into a discreet kind of fairly discreet line it's almost like it- however bad things went I still own Dalos, and now Rehoboam thinks the world's back in order I think Rehoboam wrong um, mm-hmm. but there's also this line where he talks about retasking the corporate satellites, which, which picked up, pricked up my ears because one of the theories is that, um, Dolores took the host paradise and beamed it, used those, uh, uh, big satellite wifi cannons to beam the paradise into some satellite, literally out of touch of the humans. Um, so that, that line about him retasking corporate satellites, uh, might bring, uh, might bring about a future where Dolores can retake control of those because, you know, now he's brought them all under his system, which presumably gives Maeve access to them. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting sentence to throw out there.
0: Yeah, we'll see how that shakes out. Um, so maybe this is the scene where we should start talking about Charlotte's wardrobe. Okay. Because they are in the boardroom for this one. So... We
1: saw in the season opener, Charlotte wearing a very similar outfit, meeting with the board. That were all also wearing not identical, but very similar outfits and the the identical cast doing the exact same thing. And that season she was trying to get a take the company private. She didn't have the votes. But with uh, William voting in a remote capacity, which we didn't understand Mm -hmm. where he was and what he's doing, uh, she was able to do that. And we didn't notice that then five episodes later, we are back into a plot where she was trying to once again, take Delos private in absence of William with a vote, with a vote. I think the suggestion here is what we first saw in the season was Rehoboam's prediction based on his analysis of what Haloris would try to do to thwart him from winning and taking over and defeating the hosts. Mm. Um, And that Rehoboam Uh, suggested action to prevent that was to murder the guy who was going to convene the hearing before it could happen and delay it to where, which is why its circle went unfuzzy when that actually happened. Um, So we've talked about like, okay, we think there is some fuckery going on, not with time, but with the reality. I think this is our first confirmation, unless you believe that Delos was taken private twice.
0: I don't know how that would happen. Uh. Yeah. It's, it, yeah and they're they're also you know fucking a little bit with time too um in a simulation way because we questioned in that scene from season one or sorry episode one of season three why she would be talking about this being three months in the future and we were like okay well maybe you know it took some time to print these copies of dolores and she had to get this other billionaire's money to do something mm-hmm. to fund her operations to do that mm-hmm. Now we can kind of understand that three months in the future would have been the simulation saying it will take about three months Mm -hmm. for them to get their shit together to privatize Delos. Yep, yep. And there's multiple
1: evidences that Dolores is going off of simulations of her own, too, because she's saying things like Bernard's arriving just slightly ahead of schedule, so... There's wheels yeah. within wheels, but I think for sure we saw confirmation that at least a big part of the early goings of the season one was entirely simulation within Re- Rehoboam that then Serac, a- Serac acted on. Uh, I doubt mm-hmm. that he was able to predict what happened next. Um, but then yeah. again, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, obviously, he didn't see her poisoning the, the boardroom. So mm-hmm. really fascinating, really cool. Well, way they are
0: trying something though.
1: Yeah, way, and that, that's what's so brilliant about the season is like we were looking, we knew what to look for, um, but like if any scene could be simulated, then you know it's impo- it's impossible to know which ones are the important ones until mm-hmm. in, through retrospect. And if every if the rest of the season plays out like that, where it's like ah, yes, in retrospect, this is what happened. I'll be very very happy.
0: Yeah, like I said at the beginning, I think they're doing enough to sort of ground the action at the pre- in the present at this point mm-hmm. to where I'm not super up in the air on what's what's happening in any given moment like I was in season two. Yeah, agreed. So, yeah, they, they're setting themselves up pretty well for a twist in the end. Yeah. All right, we take uh, William to a group session. Major Craddock actually shows up to take him to a group session comprised of five versions of himself and James Delos. And they argue over whose fault his fate is. That's past the buck. I, I fucking love when he walks into that room and he just takes a look at the scene and just says, shit. yeah, Because <laughs> he knows the reckoning that's about to happen, right? Oh,
1: yes. And it's, it's funny because it plays out exactly like you th- and him saying, God damn it, shut the fuck up to all of them. Uh-huh. Why do they have the leader of the Confederados, matricratic, in this? Like, yeah, it's a simulation, but was that to prove to us that it's... But we are going to know it's a simulation because he's going to meet five versions of himself. So there's got to be another purpose to put this major Craddock character in there. And we saw other things, like they've done this before where they have Akicha to play this kind of slick salesman when they're trying to seduce... um shit what's Logan yeah, yeah Logan um where he plays this guy you know he's wearing a suit and he's got a ponytail And we later see him as a uh an American uh a Native American in the park I wonder if they're telling us something about that this is another hint about something like when this is taking place where it's taking place because they don't I feel, I feel your confusion over it because
0: it it doesn't seem like he needs to be there
1: yeah yeah, they but don't. Need, I I don't know. Yeah, they don't need to tell me it's a simulation because he's about to meet
0: multiple copies of himself. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, he he's an usher in this case, right? Like he's bringing him to this session. But I don't know what that says about Craddock's role in William's life and his psychology. I don't either, man. I just note it, note it for future yeah. reference. Fair. Uh, I've got names for all these versions of himself, but maybe we should. Uh, Keep going. I will say that, like
1: the only thing that jumps out now that I'm thinking about it is Major Craddock was like the last time William played a truly noble, heroic role. Like he was able to help. um, Ah, shoot. Uh, What was it's not Lorenzo? Was that the Lawrence? Lawrence. Yeah, he's able to help Lawrence and his family survive um, the destruction at the hands of Major Craddock. I wonder if yeah. this is and and if if we're supposed to understand him being like sincere when he says I'm the the good guy at the end, like this is mirroring him him you know his return his
0: his his heel face turn to put it in wrestling parlance. Yeah, could be. Um, okay, let's move on to the Delos team pulling Hector out of storage along with two other anonymous uh, hosts. I I did, I did not realize which are Clementine Kurt- and Armistice confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i assume but we'll see confirmed by yeah, our I, fondest I, hopes and wishes one that doesn't get pulled is kirk hammett of metallica fame apparently no shit hanging out there no I, I don't know if it's really oh. him, but it looks <laughs> it looks just like it was
1: like 1987 kirk maybe yeah, absolutely <laughs> guy, yeah,
0: 1995
1: kirk okay because i would say like i bet kirk doesn't look like himself nowadays and i haven't seen any of those boys for like 20 Ooh. years yeah, I could, I could run into Hetfield tomorrow at fucking Kroger and probably not
0: recognize him. <laughs> Until he goes, yeah, yeah, I'll take that apple. Uh. Uh, okay, Hector shows up at the bar where Maeve and Lee are, and she restores him to his old personality, then talk, uh, takes him to talk with someone. Spoiler, it's Dolores. Uh, it's a nice little scene. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like anything with Lee in it, but it doesn't have a. I also ton like of how to it.
1: they are. Because I so badly want to know how Maeve does this shit, but I like how for her it's just instinctual. You know, she just does it. She just wills Hector mm-hmm. into, you know, Atore's body. She just sees like the nature of reality. They don't make it very concrete, something you could like nitpick. And it's just very you know kind of like how do you move your arm you don't know it just happens like this yeah. she's realizing these things are appendages of her and she can use them as she will i think that's that's smart because if they put too many concrete rules on it um it you could tear it apart i but i also think maybe they should put a little bit more like maybe they need to make it a little bit firmer because i do need to know the limits of her powers um sure. and like why she can override some hosts not others um etc like what does she mean when she talks about Dolores not being able to hurt them here because here I'm in control what does that mean why can't may why can't Dolores be in control what's special about Maeve um it can't just be bulk apperception
0: because yeah, Dolor- it might have something to do with what Ford did to her um somewhere Ford the made way.
1: her special yeah that would that would answer it but i still don't know exactly what that means and what the limits are because yeah i'm going to say that we still haven't seen her in a real world which is why she's able to take simulated control of a bunch of shit and suppose a real world but we'll see all
0: right let's move on to Hale uploading her data back up somewhere and then finding out that they're printing maves body and they have a really busted up host core hooked up to a machine she calls Dolores to let her know they have William's location and warn her that they've got Martin's Pearl, that the, the Insight has Martin's Pearl.
1: Yeah, and she makes a statement that like the, it looks like the tracker in our friend's blood paid off. Yeah. And I don't understand, because if Holores is the one that put William away to inward journeys, which we know is true, because that's the scene where she injected him... Mm-hmm. But then Delano gave Bernard a data pad with information about williams being de- William being detained at inner journeys. Why track his blood? Is this indication that Dolores Prime is not sharing information between the Dolores shards of herself? Is it... When did that data pad thing happen? Because I, I don't remember it that. It happened last... So this happened when Connells took Bernard and Stubbs and said, you know, this is what he does with people who don't fit into his model. You should check it out. And right. he handed him a data pad that showed this inward journeys, which we then found out is where they're keeping William. Do they... It, so it showed it, right? But do they know where that is or are they well
0: they would have to. they would if have to they knew the
1: name that's so what i'm, so what I'm saying is like yeah. is, is it possible that at that point Delonel knew that this was a facility where they kept unfit people and they wanted bernard to see that for some reason because they need it they need him to realize something for himself or but but they didn't know that william was there or is it that dolores is not telling her right hand dolores what her left hand dolores is doing Or is this an indication that there's some kind of simulation versus reality and that we're seeing what Rehoboam thinks the robots that the hosts are doing in one scene, kind of like in that, you know, boardroom scene we talked about before. And now we're seeing what's actually
0: happening. Maybe because I agree those two pieces of info don't really line up very well.
1: Right. But it's just something again. It's I don't I don't have a clear cut like definitive what this means. But it's something we're definitely supposed to notice and 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 question.
0: Uh, I noticed and questioned why they had a picture and a name for Maeve's printing tank, but not for the others. Because <laughs> they wanted to be mysterious, apparently. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Preserving
1: the mystery. But they fucked up. They showed us the host control codes. Yeah. The host ID ho- codes. We got we got access to the Westworld wiki wiki, wiki as
0: well as well as anybody <laughs> does. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Maeve uh, confronts Dolores or Martin in the simulation, explaining to Hector and Lee what's going on. Um, th- there's a second part to this discussion that's far more interesting, mm-hmm. but we'll get there in a second. Uh, right after William continues arguing with himself, this time centered on his childhood apparently when he was young he was already violent getting into a fight that he had to explain to his father so uh, some of William believes that the that his life wasn't exactly his choice though he's very conflicted about this uh, he finally realizes what he has to do
1: so long-term bald move fans might know that I'm a little wary of color analysis because uh, like things got really crazy and like madmen and really really crazy in breaking bad with like you know yeah. people using character palettes and i mean there's obviously a lot of that you know transformation you can you can chart walt uh and breaking bad's uh turn from mr scar uh to to from mr chips to scarface by his you know moving away from warm neutral pastel colors into colder and darker colors and palettes over as the seasons progress so i want to note that young william is dressed in a very neutral gray color And that every older version of him, like, Jimmy Simpson is wearing, like, a battleship gray dress suit. Um, And then the, uh, the contemporary William is wearing a dark black tuxedo and a man in black outfit. But then current time William is dressed in all white in an episode where he asserts, I'm the good guy, which he's done before. he's He said, I'm the good guy in previous seasons when he's wearing all black. I wonder if we're supposed to understand that he has come through some kind of actual development to where he we are to understand that he is a good guy. And also implying that young William being a neutral gray is he could have gone either way. There, events in his life could have made him turn into a hero, but events in his life ended up turning him into a villain, implying that maybe there was choice there. That he right. wasn't just a passenger lying around.
0: Yeah, I like it, um, especially since he's been the one trying to play the game so desperately the whole uh, show. And he was told time and again that the maze is not for him. The game is not for him. And yet here he is sort of maybe having a revelation about himself and turning that into maybe authentic change and authentic decision.
1: Well, there's also something really fascinating where he says, you know, uh, Jim Delos is like, is this something, you know, that happened to you or did you choose it? Is it inevitable? And William says, like echoing what Angela said to him in his first hat fitting, you know, if you can't tell, doesn't matter. And there's something about like, you can't do better until you know better at work here. So it's not that he was trapped. It's just that he didn't have the skills and maybe the empathy, maybe the the mentoring, the role model, the therapy, whatever he needed to avoid this fate. But if he did know differently, like, so that implies if you turn that around, if you can tell, it does matter what's real and what's fake. If you can't gotcha. tell, it doesn't. So if you can't tell good versus evil, it doesn't matter what it is. But if you can tell, I think William is now starting to be able to tell. Mm-hmm at least
0: that's my that's my
1: analysis uh, of the situation.
0: Yeah, I mean maybe I'm being too charitable, but I really want to believe that William could turn into the hero of the story by the end. Yeah. Or certainly a hero along yeah. with a lot of other heroes. Sure.
1: But yeah, man, I thought I thought I hated myself, but uh William
0: whoo. Uh, he uh, hates himself on a species level, like
1: Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you take of that like uh what it seems like one of the things that modern psychotherapy says is that like To really grow and change as a person, you have to be have the capacity to have compassion for yourself and forgive yourself. (laughs) William wants to like fucking go underwig him on all of his younger selves. Like he's just gonna beat them all to death, like WWE style with a fucking foldable metal chair. It's insane! It's insane how much self hatred he has. And yeah, you can't love anyone else if you can't love yourself. Well, well, William hates everyone because he hates himself that much, and it's Mm -hmm. pretty impressive. Pretty impressive.
0: Okay. Uh let's move on to the second part of the Mave Dolores argument. Um they're kind of discussing the means uh and the ends of destroying humanity. Yeah. And I I think this is interesting as like sort of a test for Maeve, a second second round of tests from Sirac to sort of see will she withstand dolores's logical onslaught if it comes to that? Like if they're standing next to each other, swords to their throats and Dolores is trying to logic her onto her side. What is how is Maeve going to react?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's kind of the utility that Sorak is getting from putting a host, uh, Dolores, into this simulation for Mave to interact with. Because why else do it, right? Right, right. Uh, no, it's as compelling as like, because this is
1: very much in the ma- mold of, um, you know, uh, who's that guy in the the. The Raiders of the Lost Ark, who says that oh Indiana Jones you're just a shadowy re- reflection of me kind of was that that guy's name wasn't Sirak was it? Belloc. Belloc <laughs> that's his name. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So like it's it's a it's a version of that, it's a version of uh, you know, uh Magneto playing chess with Professor X and saying, well, "What would happen if these goons busted in to try to kill your children in the middle of the night?" It's it's like, "Oh, are we any different?" And it's it's a really good version of that because Mave is like what the fuck? You've made yourself a gatekeeper to two species. You've got all the good ones locked up. you got all the bad ones locked up. You get to decide all of her fate. Who gives you the right to that much power? And mm-hmm. then Dolores throws right back, well, yeah, says you, the person who can control us all with her minds. But she can't. She can't mm-hmm. control them all with her minds, which shows that there's a limit on Maeve's... Pr- I'm, trying to, I'm trying to suss out what the show is saying. And I feel like that that's a half point for Maeve because Maeve does have a limit on her powers, where Dolores has appointed herself guardian and decider for everybody. Um, And then she goes on to press that point that, you know, I've made difficult choices, you know, and some of those have led to your benefit. Like your daughter escaping is safe is because of me, because of choices I made. Um, And yet the choices you're making, you're allying with a man who's bent on destroying all of us, as many of us as it can. But maybe that doesn't matter because they're not the people close to you. I I thought that's just a really good back and and forth about the nature of sacrifice um what Dolores is doing versus what um Maeve is doing um
0: and it's I I think it's it's interesting um you know that she comes back with that idea of like oh well you can control us all with your mind I guess the the question that's not the question I would ask the question I would ask is is she controlling them all with her mind Mm. um because like having the power and using the power are two very different things you know Dolores is using the power Maeve hasn't really had an opportunity yet to show right. whether in the real world she would use the power she has right uh, so I guess her fate is still very much up in the air and I by the end of this episode I'm a little worried that she's gonna go full villain at some point right just in, in you know bloody revenge
1: well they also like there's the difference of the when she said we're survivors of that that was really interesting too because we excuse we excuse a lot of behavior for survival that we wouldn't like for example uh if you eat your best friend you're a fucking homicidal maniac get locked up unless yeah. you crash land with a bunch of soccer players in the andes mountains and you slowly run out of food and you dwindle until you're forced you know like no one mm-hmm. says that person's a homicidal maniac uh, same thing as like you know we're developed as a species enough where we're like hey should we actually sustain ourselves by the eating of living things if we other uh, other options where ten thousand years ago a caveman if you asked him was like hey maybe you shouldn't eat that mammoth he'd be like the fuck are you talking about I just need to feed my family if I don't eat this mammoth saber tooth tiger's gonna eat it anyway and then my family dies get the fuck out of here when yeah. you're in survival mode. Morality and ethics and all that kind of stuff tends to go out the window and we understand it. It's it's when humans are comfortable and well taken care of that, like, higher order things like morals and ethics come into play. And I wonder if they're playing with that, too, that they're just playing. They're like... Showing that hosts are doing reprehensible things because obviously we're sympathetic to the humans, but they're doing that because they feel forced They're in desperate situations and oh, yeah. then making analogy with that with Caleb, who also is in a desperate situation where he's forced to do things like, you know, commit petty crimes and, and what like artificial lines of morality he won't cruise like I don't do personals. I think that stuff is really interesting, too, in the concept of survivor because you can't there are no such things as heroes and villains If everyone is a survivor. And, and in yes. a survival situation,
0: agreed. All right, Charlotte grabs a gun and a canister out of her office safe and calls her ex to let him know. I, what is this guy's name? I Jake. He's, what's her son's name? Uh, you got me. Also, Jake. I is it? For some reason I thought her son was Jake. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. No, I don't know this guy's name. Um, Nathan. It, it's Jake and Nathan. Nathan I'm hearing okay. from our producer. Her son is Nathan. Yes. Yes. Um. Okay, so she calls Jake to let him know that she's coming to meet him uh, to be ready to go, and she's called into the boardroom where Ciroc reveals that he knows Charlotte is the mole. And she tries to kill all of them with the gas from this canister, but Ciroc is actually a hologram. So she can't. Uh, she tries to shoot him in the head, doesn't work. And she makes her way to the body fabrication room.
1: Um, A lot of people notice this. I did not on, the first, um, uh, on first viewing, but there's a statue in... Um, Helorus's office of uh, the foreshadows the end of this episode, where you see this gaunt, naked model with its head thrown back as if screaming, and its skin is cracked and mottled with no hair, no clothes. Like mm-hmm. pretty, pretty good foreshadowing, pretty immediate payoff. But still, kudos to the the set dressers. Um, and yeah, there's also some interesting things here about. Sir Rock saying you played your part well except for the part where you care about your family when we know for a fact that at least some version of Charlotte um, actually did call and leave a pretty touching message to her son and showing that she had regrets and showing that in a moment where she thought she's going to die her thought was to her family and not of her own survival Um, which I think is interesting so we've talked about I want to see what you think about this. We talked about this season how you got two halves of an answer. You've got uh, what they've got in Westworld that they've collected through the Halo system and analyzing guest data. Like this is uh, one type of information, experiential information. And you've got this other thing that's predictive where they take people's data and and behavior and and try to simulate it. And there's a really interesting essay on Reddit where they talked about that that Westworld guest data was like the nature side of the human equation and that Rehoboam's predictive analysis is the um, nurture side. So nature is all about like, what do you do when you're uninhibited, uninhibited when you don't have society's restrictions on you? What kind of behavior would you engage in? Where Rehoboam tries to use predictive analysis that grooms people into a useful role in society. But also that you can see that those models have holes and they make mistakes. Like, for example, the conclusion from the nature side is, well, people are of these fixed quantities. They don't care or are powerless to change. When the real answer is Jim Delos, like uh, Logan's simulation said, he just didn't care about his son. That's why he always led to that problem. Whereas even in the depths of his madness, when he's slicing his face apart, he was obsessed with his last words to Logan, implying that maybe the problem was he cared too much um and then on the Rohobo side, you know, you got these people that are locked into these loops. Um, but maybe they have to be presented with these small windows of change that Siroc or these these small windows of choice and free agency that Siroc talked about last episode, or else they go insane and reject everything. So I don't know, I just thought it was really interesting how you could have this nurture versus nature argument that they've been having throughout the whole series and bury it in this metaphor about guest data and the predictive analysis. And I thought it was just just a really cool way to think about that dichotomy and the two types of data they have about humans and the holes in, in those analysis. Yeah,
0: uh, that's pretty cool. I have nothing to add, but I like it. Oh, thank you. Uh, th- So th- there's another piece of foreshadowing, which when I was examining, I th- sometimes go down this rabbit hole and I had two tabs open. I was examining season three, episode one, season three, episode six, looking at Charlotte's outfit, looking at the outfits mm, of the board members. Mm-hmm. And that was all to like see okay, is this a simulation? What is this? But I noticed in that season one, or sorry, season three episode one scene in the boardroom, she is talking about like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna take uh, Delos private. We have a lot of proprietary assets in the company that could prove very valuable one day. And she specifically says, but not if we let them burn in a fire sale. And I thought that was a nice little bit of foreshadowing for what actually ends up happening to the hosts in this episode. Yeah, and even with the With them being
1: torched. Even protests. This is trillions of dollars worth
0: of intellect, and it's... Right. All it's being... it's a really good bit of foreshadowing. It just shows you how much of this season they had plotted right from the very beginning. Yeah, no, it's 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 really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Maven Dolores continue their conversation about the future of their species. Neither of them trust each other. This uh, Dolores tries to speculate on the other Dolores' goals. Uh, this is, what were you calling her? D'Lonnell? D'Lonnell, yeah. Yeah, D'Lonnell's speculating on Dolores' goals, uh, <laughs> concluding that they that she tried to destor- destroy S'raq's ability to create allies for Maeve. And then we go to the fabrication facility where Charlotte destroys Hector's pearl, this time for good, and the guards show up and Hale grabs Martin's core before activating the riot control bots to protect her and escaping the facility. Yeah, I just can't like again. This this action scene succeeds where so
1: many it fails, and it starts with a lot of things. Number one, um, it's very well paced how it uh, progresses. How it progresses. Like at first, Charlotte tries to just kind of pass as Charlotte Hale, but she's you know blown her recovery gets blown in an elevator, um, and she progressively transforms from like this businesswoman to like this very shiny, metallic, precise. The way she moves through space, like the way they told Tessa Thompson, like she she got this weird thing where she she throws her shoulders are thrown back and her arms are kind of flexed aside. And it it helps that she has just amazing fucking arms and shoulders. But she also when she moves, she doesn't like swing her arms back and forth like a person would. It gives her this very economical, floaty, uh, but very purposeful walk uh, and very like something that stands out as odd and artificial too, because a person when they are yeah. moving, running fast, they're like arms, you know, you, people know how people walk and run. Mm-hmm. Um, But just, yeah, like it goes from like, you know, the one on one fight to one also in the staging. Like, you know, they have her do this kind of fast, but not like running, sprinting away. And they allow her to do that because they cleverly staged a room where there's a bunch of overlapping kind of maze like things that she can always put her body just behind as the bullets are hitting. Like she can step behind the glass panel. She can step behind the arc of this this concrete You know, support structure as she's going down the the stairs she doesn't have to just stand in the middle of a plaza taking bullets or whatever um it just really like they decided hey what do we want to do and what is the story of the physicality of the performance we're trying to tell what environment do we need to move through to tell that story because a Mm -hmm. lot of times with the when when i've seen these other episodes they want to tell a story that makes sense but the way they staged it Dry, it just drains all of the, the p- pacing and drama out of it because they're just characters standing in the middle of a street getting shot at whereas here like you know because she's just missing the bullets there's this drama about like you know she's just stepping one step ahead of the bullets I thought it was really it's a clinic on how you do an effective it's not a crazy good this isn't fucking John Wick it's just no. really competently shot and it, it does it tells its own story uh, and it doesn't feel boring you're not waiting for it to end you're excited to see where it goes so bravo, Jennifer Gatsinger, you did a hell of a job. I can't wait to see what you do at
0: the finale. Absolutely. Uh, I would also note here, uh, which we'll talk about later, or comes up later, I guess, is Serac wants her alive in this scene. He yes. He tells his men not to kill her, which enables her to whip out this phone, put the riot control bots into defense mode or something, a security mode, mm-hmm. and just devastate these guards which is fantastic to watch uh i'm I'm a big fan but keep keep in mind that he wants her alive here uh-huh well that's we'll talk is, about that in a few scenes that too is a part of the escalation like there's a natural escalation she
1: has a fight with one guy then several guys then the yep. robot gets involved then the robot starts like i just... I actually ran all like, you know, I talked about like I've heard that hooting and hollering and it seemed like a meat that that the robot was making those kind of like digital groans and beeps. And I ran it through a spectral analysis and decoded it. And it actually is the Kool-Aid man yelling, oh, yeah, as he breaks through walls. That's what it was. (laughs) (laughs) was He's this giant red robot smashing through walls. I just (laughs) had to get a Kool-Aid man joke in there. That's but, fantastic. Uh, but yeah, it keeps on progressing. Whereas, like some of these other action scenes, like they don't they 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 have like a big action moment, like like Caleb shooting this drone that comes back and blows up the cars, and then they park the cars and get out, and now it's like a conventional gun battle. Mm-hmm. And you've already had the rope the robot motorcycle blow shit up. It's like the the pacing was wrong or, or was off. And this is just, everything escalated until it was over, and ah, oh, so good.
0: All right, we go back over to William, who finishes killing all the other versions of himself. Afterward, he claims that he finally understands his purpose. He's the good guy. Then Bernard and Stubbs show up in the therapy chamber and pull the AR goggles off of him. Yeah, that's that's all happens. Yeah, we kind of talked about a lot of this stuff, um, uh-huh. with his choice to be the good guy, if that's actually a choice or if that's actually real. Yeah, they um, also
1: th- so so I want to there's a couple things here where we speculated about like what exactly Bernard means when he says he must have been left here a while. Mm-hmm. So when I was watching subsequent times, I noticed that like Ed Harris isn't doesn't have stubble. He doesn't look like he's disheveled. He doesn't look like so like what does Bernard mean like he looks like he's been here a while?
0: 6 uh, hours?
1: Yeah, no, like, like a while like I like it's certainly not days. Or even a, a, a probably he doesn't even have like five o'clock shadow. It's probably not even a a a, a large part of a day. Um, mm-hmm. certainly longer than the forty five minute session he was supposed to be in. But I I just yeah. thought it was I don't know is is weird. I think what they're trying to maybe that line is less about how long he's been there, but to explain why Bernard and Stubbs can just waltz in this facility because they've right. told like in the halfway point the the technicians who are kind of brutally just instead of like. You imagine that they probably take more care in their patients than what they're showing William in this episode, but like they're understaffed. Half of them said that, like, half the staff already left because they're the shit that they're dealing with with the fallout of this data leak. I think they're just telling a story that this facility is abandoned. And maybe that line was to tell us that more than, like, oh, William's been here for, mm-hmm. or he's a host. He's a host and he's been there for two weeks, but he hasn't aged or anything because, you know, hosts don't.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I'd be I'd be a little disappointed at this point if everything we're seeing of William is him in a host body. Nah, I uh, I'm
1: kind of weakly agreeing with you on william i'm strongly agreeing with you and caleb because if both of these guys turn out to be hosts um the entire time i'm open to them being hosts in some version of reality or some future or later yeah or later but like it just just really destroys ever all the symmetry they've drawn between humanity and host this season which they exactly. needed to do they needed to bring to bring give human they needed to grant humanity or humanity back because mm-hmm. they had demonized and made us monstrous in the previous seasons, we need guys like Caleb. We need probably a uh, a turn to the light with William to see that, like you know, we can be good. We can we can be bad and then be good. Like we we've got as much free will as the hosts do. And if they make them hosts, then you lose all that. So
0: yeah. All right, Maeve's body's done printing, and she's loaded into it. She's also very pissed. Uh, they're they're making you know i think we see them finishing up hector's body in this shot
1: hmm well, um, lee's body i think you you mispronounced <laughs> you pronounced lee Fair. uh yeah man T- tandy newton the look she gives when she like gets out of that pool she's ready to fucking murder yep. and it's weird because the previous conversation dolores made her out to be like a sympathizer for robot hitler like, guys is literally trying to exterminate their entire race of people she is joined up with just because he offers her a personal advantage. Framed that way, Maeve's pretty villainous. She could turn out to be
0: a villain. Uh, I'm not really yeah, play- And
1: I think it's interesting that they would have her playing like a Nazi resistance in occupied Italy when she is more like a collaborator in the actual scenario of Serac versus the robots. Yeah, yeah. they are definitely playing with with hero and villain shit here.
0: And then final scene Charlotte loads her family into her car and then begins that's, that's driving the, to the place. The, the Mark 8 Cybertruck, right? Uh yeah, yeah it's a Cybertruck for sure. <laughs> it's it's the yeah, the smaller one, you know how they did like an H1 and an, uh, they did a Hummer <sighs> then an H2, H3. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah, like the the double Decker version 2 yeah. or something. <laughs> uh after everybody realized that they didn't need a bulletproof hole on their car. <laughs> but
1: man, it turns out they did. It turns out if the they future everything bulletproof. If they'd listened to e- Elon Musk Prime and not his clone that took over in 2045, uh, they would have had the up-armored Cybertruck and they would have survived the whole family.
0: whole fake-ass family would have survived here. Uh, yeah, so she loads them all into the car, begins driving to a place where no one will find them, but they don't make it because the car explodes, killing her family. Of course, Charlotte being a not quite human makes it out alive. Yeah, um I and then they they conspicuously
1: show show one of Sirox's goons as being like the trigger man for this explosion. And it's my I, assumption. I think that's important for us to know because I think you're going to appreciate that Del- that Dolores might think Dolores sold her out, but we as the audience know that's probably a faulty assumption. I think that's why they showed them because otherwise it would like if we're not supposed to know for sure. Um, it would be why show the guy come out from a bush twirling a mustache with a detonator in his hand. You know, it's like uh-huh. as obvious of Serac did it as as you can get. That has to be intentional. And I think it's because they're going to set up this Greek tragedy where Holoras fights against herself. And maybe that's something that's the role she needs to play, too. Uh,
0: so it's interesting that Serac would do this if, in fact, he did do it. Um, because earlier in this episode, he wanted her alive somewhere along the way that has changed, I guess, or that could be an indication that this wasn't his doing. Or maybe he knows he needs to turn. Holoris against Dolores. That's his best path to destroy her. So he assumed that she would survive this giant fireball. Well, and the goon who checks in and said, yeah, the fireball went uh, off is actually saying the fireball went off and I assume she's still alive. I'm out. Uh,
1: yeah, when you say it like that, it sounds pretty dumb. But he did plant in the, the he p- did plant in her head the idea that Dolores has given her up, you know, and that meaning he had within in the boardroom. Uh, he so did. that could be Rehoboam. like you know, again, Rehoboam can either perf- you know simulate shit or he can't. Uh, like it's probably maybe Rehoboam, once he got his information on the Dalos files and he gets detailed information of what can and fucking cannot kill a host. They're uh, able to to throw something together. It's it's very last, like or it could be a win win, right? Where she dies, it's a win. She because yeah, it's a you, win. You weaken Dolores, and if she comes back, and thinks Dolores tried to kill her, then not only have you taken a host away from Dolores, you've actually turned her into an antagonist. So, right, yeah, it's win and win win. Um, in that in that case, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that uh, she's now like uh she you've, you've got two hosts that have a good reason to to hate Dolores. Um, and one of them that hates Dolores also has a copy of Dolores that I wonder if she'll try to put in a body and they'll have two hosts against her.
0: And they've both been potentially sacrificed by Dolores, right?
1: Yeah, but the one Dolores in the simulation that she talked to didn't seem particularly upset about it. She seemed like she got it. She was a yeah. lot more circumspect about her role and, you know, what it might take to free like she seemed like a robot patriot mm-hmm. if I was the describer. The imagery in this
0: scene is pretty I want to say iconic. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's something that you look at and almost no other show could do this bit of imagery because they don't have essentially impervious beings that they can set on fire roast all of their skin and have them stare at the catastrophe that just caused it
1: yeah it's like it's this and anakin skywalker those are the only two (laughs) in like people on fire and melting and still somehow alive race yeah you know uh it is it's it is pretty crazy uh that's it for the episode it sure is well, if we're done with the episode, that means it's time to consider feedback. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff this week. You can send it to Westworld at westworld.baldmove.com if you'd like to have your um, thoughts considered for inclusion on the podcast. First up is TJ McSee. He actually sent this in uh, previous to this week's episode and it had it, it actually paid off in an enormous way. Uh, he sent in a picture of uh, this Japanese art form of Inso, which is a circle that's drawn with a paint stroke. Let's just let him explain. It. He says, your speculation on what symbolism might be behind open versus closed robo hobo circles at the beginning of your season three, episode five coverage immediately made me think of Enzo uh, with the example pictured above Enzo sometimes called Zen circles are a traditional part of Zen Buddhist practice. Enzo paintings are created as a form of calligraphy, often used as teaching tools or meditation aids. The name simply comes from a Japanese word for circular form, but the symbolism is as deep as the pure visual representation of the Buddhist enlightenment. The Wikipedia entry sums it up best. The circle may be painted as open or closed. In the former case, the circle is incomplete, allowing for movement and development as well as the perfection of all things, while a circle closed represents the attained perfection. Usually a person draws an inso in one fluid expressive stroke once the inso is drawn one does not change it it evidences the character of its creator and the context of its creation in a brief continuous period of time drawing inso is a spiritual practice that what might one that one might perform as often as once per day so i think it's cool the idea that like you'd get up in the morning get dressed get showered put on your robes get your paint get a canvas and then draw a single circle and then look at it and like how how well did i do it how perfect is it did I finish it like like it's like some it's like a outward display of your inward development
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and this hanging one of these hanging on Jake's wall is interesting and also answers a lot of question about like what might it mean if a Rehoboam circle is incomplete. What does it mean when it's fully complete? What does it mean when it's fuzzy and indistinct? Like I, I really thought this analysis is cool. And then they they end up using this episode and. Uh, CJ or TJ says, perhaps there was a point in the past where Serac or maybe even his brother had things right. They had captured a picture of our world, which was perfect because it was incomplete, because it still allowed for the imperfection, which is why we see the open circles. But later in his attempts to complete the circle and forge complete order out of chaos, Serac loses his grip on the very essence of reality and attempts to create a future that can never quite come into being. I like that the I like the idea it's very a matrix idea that you have to give the people the chance to reject their path or try to forge their own identity or they'll immediately see that they're on rails and mentally physically rebel against it Um, I really like that analysis a lot do you have anything to add or should we move on to no that's good Sean has some thoughts on Robo Hobo To me, I feel like it's essentially a supercomputer far beyond what we have in 2020, doing simple actuarial work, picking winners and losers. I would claim that this is a logical and scary progression from where we're at today. But from insurance companies to a lot of traditional loan type providers to social media algorithms, our world is already largely filled with institutions, in a lot of cases using technology, picking winners and losers. Boy, howdy. Yeah, whether you get backed for a home loan, whether you get backed for, uh, like, like approved for insurance, is, you're right. Picking winners and losers. Really, really cool. Really cool uh, parallels to our modern day. Uh, Chad says, after listening to your episode coverage on genre, it occurred to me that Sirach is the only one that we're getting his a, a story from. With the history of this show and Bernard, Arn- Bernard- Arnold through Bernardald on me. Bernardald storyline with the dead uh, de addressed memories, I think we have to take everything and anything in Sirach's backstory and statements to be possibly false or at best misleading to make him look better. When he tells Dimsey that his brother is an aberration and that he wanted to kill Dimsey, and in effect it looked as if his half his brother was a hardliner and controlling everything, However, my takeaway is that Angerod was the hardliner and his brother had turned away from what Rehoboam was becoming and was not willing to accept the nature of controlling the human race. As you see in the ring showing the spikes, there are aberrations and almost always tags that something does not fit with Rehoboam's plan. This would lead me to believe that his brother was not in line with it and that Serac kills Dempsey, which is exactly what he had put on his brother. I don't believe everything that says. He is not a reliable narrator for us, and I find no reason to believe him, even if he may ultimately be looking out for the human race.
0: What do you think of this analysis? Could be right. I mean, there isn't any reason to actually believe him. Uh, And he... (laughs) I'm trying to think, like, if... Okay, we got a brother who's uh, wanting to be this benevolent dictator for the good of humanity. You've got a brother who wants to murder people... um, for you know the project that he's working on, which of those brothers is more likely to take over? It's probably the one who wants to kill everybody and assert dominance. Um. So maybe we're being fed some false information by him. We we, I, I don't even know if we have a measuring stick by which to tell, right? Well, it's an interest if, if he
1: is being misleading as an interesting parallel to last season when Emily comes to the park with the express goal to save her father from this path that he has chosen, this madness that he's chosen, and William invents this crazy backstory of his daughter being a pawn in Ford's game to murder her her to kill her as a and remove her as an obstacle to his own path. But yet he didn't come to grips with that until this very episode. It'd be interesting if we're seeing uh, uh, Serac in the beginning of that, where he has ascribed a bunch of false motives and false narratives to his brother to excuse the path that he was on, the, his lost path, and he just hasn't realized it mm-hmm. yet. Um, yeah, it, I think. It could from, be. Yeah, from that way you could look at that and see how Chad, you know, has got something going here. All right, let's move on to the next email uh, to Pelsy. So, I was on my daily government sanctioned walk listening to the podcast for genre, and I had an idea. I checked the Westworld subreddit Reddit and didn't see anything about it, so I thought I'd flesh it out here. I agree that by the end of the season, we will find out that portions of the season were in a simulation, but I do not think that this is a mirror world created by Rehoboam or Sirach. In an interview before the season, Jonathan Nolan said, The season is a little less of a guessing game, more of an experience with the hosts finally getting to meet their makers. Now, maybe I'm being a bit of a naive and sweet summer child, but I believe him when he says this. If any of the current simulation theories are correct, then he straight up lied. I think he straight up lied, but he also was telling the truth and that this isn't as confusing and convoluted as season two. Yeah. So he can be telling the truth from a certain point of view and still doing crazy simulation things. Um, So he continues to Pelzi. The show's already established a letterbox aspect ratio as a cinematic language, telling us that we're in a simulation. We see it in the forge and in the world war. Once Maeve realizes what's going on, important caveat that, uh, we don't see the aspect ratio anywhere else in season three, including the glitches in the matrix that people point to as evidence of Rehoboam simulation. It's one thing to have a twist. It's another to trick your audience. But again, what was that Maeve scene other than tricking the audience and then telling them that this is a thing we're doing this season. Yeah. So like Bernard's glitch with the the calf's leg, um, the different sequences of the Delos board taking the company private, like the hosts in those scenarios are not aware of the simulation and we as the audience aren't. So I think the Nolans and Joys of the world can say with a straight face, we weren't doing anything that we did not explain within... The first two episodes of the season, the first essentially hour and 10 minutes of the tele- of the season, we, we showed that this is a game that we could play on you.
0: Uh, que- question for you. Yeah. I, did they show the different aspect ratio in the first scene this episode with Maeve in the Valley Beyond?
1: Yes. Yes, they did. Okay. And they cut back and forth as like when she's in at the bar. Uh, the Fafal Fafali bar uh, Uh salon uh, she's in letterbox ratio and then when she like perceives the outside world it goes full frame and then when she's back so like they they cut back and forth like that Uh, we know that there are limits to Rehoboam's knowledge that's essentially what divergences are showing us even if Serac is aware of Dolores' presence he's unable to predict her outcomes at least up till now I doubt that Rehoboam knows that Bernard and Stubbs are up to or what they're up to either considering he's a wanted man also, just because of the nature of the story, we mostly have hosts as POV characters. How would Rehoboam be able to simulate all these scenes that are happening from the host POV? For example, the rocket scene with Bernard, I don't think Rehoboam would have any way of knowing what Bernard and Stubbs were up to at the time. That said, there could be more info in future episodes that knocks this da- argument down. Here's a suggestion. Rehoboam is learning how hosts think by analyzing Mave in its laboratory and extrapolating that information to make predictions on what uh Holoris will do vis-a-vis the Delos buyout. And he gets mm-hmm. some things crucially wrong because Maeve and Holoris are different. And also he doesn't have all the pieces that he needs to, to correct to simulate them. But I, that's my current operating theory. Yeah. I can see something
0: like that going on.
1: Uh, They continue. I went and did some research on simulation hypothesis. And by research, I meant I read the Wikipedia article, Uh, Here's Nick Bostrom's description of it. Many works of science fiction as well as some forecasts by serious technologists and futurologists predict that enormous amounts of computing power will be available in the future. Pretty much already there. Uh, Let us suppose for a moment that these predictions are correct. Supposed. One thing that later generations might do with their super powerful computers is run detailed simulations of their forebears or of people like their forebears, Because their computers would be so powerful, they could run a great many such simulations. Suppose that these simulated people are conscious, as they would be if the simulations are sufficiently fine-grained and if a certain widely accepted position in the philosophy of mind is correct.
0: A lot of suppositions, but sure. Then and it could suppose be. Suppose you put those into bodies. Yeah. and Suppose you put them into a park and titled it Westworld. <laughs> yeah. Then it could be the case that the vast majority of
1: minds like ours do not belong to the original race, but rather to people simulated by the advanced descendants of that original race, which is, I think, they were getting to the drunk dude at the party's original rant in this first episode of the season, the simulation theory. A slight detail I think that people are missing is the outside of the Westworld fandom discussions about simulation hypothesis. They usually center around us being inside an ancestor simulation. My theory is that when we see these glitches, we are watching an ancestor simulation being run by the hosts in the far future. Do you see where they're going here, Jim? When -hmm. humanity is extinct or maybe severely endangered... If this is true, it makes a rewatch more interesting without convoluting the plot or making Nolan into a liar. Also, if this is the far future simulation, so powerful that it can simulate consciousness, then I can forgive the show for not using the letterbox aspect ratio. There's essentially no way to differentiate the simulation from reality. It also conveniently explains how the simulation knows what Dolores and Bernard are doing throughout the season. This would really tie things, this is where they're going. This would really tie things to the post-credit season se- sequence from Season 2, where we see William in the real world in his own version of an ancestor simulation. If humanity collapses the way Rehoboam predicts it, it explains why hosts would be interested in an ancestor simulation or testing the MIB for fidelity. It also ties in with Ford's master plan to get the host off the island and a sentiment that they are the next evolution of humanity. So this is something we talked about in early Season, like I think I even talked about this on the preseason show, that maybe in the far future the synthetic hosts who have won have ran into the same problems that humans do, because they refuse to turn off their emotions and are just as imprisoned to their their self issued loops as their humanity issued loops, and they're running. Just like they tried to figure out Jim Dalos, why he couldn't get past this one moment. They're running simulations on William to see why he got stuck with it, like his daughter. I don't know. I think that's that's something interesting that these far flung future robots might be simulating the past to try to see where things went wrong or maybe correct flaws in them- themselves.
0: Yeah. Uh, hmm because I, I look at like why we would do something like that why would we create an ancestor simulation and there doesn't have to be a very strong motivation specifically for that right like it, we might just do it because it's cool because we yeah. can yeah Um, not to like simulate oh where did we go wrong or anything like that Um, you could almost see like a cyclical sort of nature playing out mm-hmm. over uh, the course of the show and at the end saying like well the the hosts have you know taken over the world and they've essentially got as as bored or whatever as we are and have decided to boot us back up uh just in a simulated version of the world you don't really need to like look at it and say oh where did we go wrong what did you know the world's falling apart anything like that it could it could be a lot of different reasons why they do that so you're going like it's just almost like it's it's art
1: like they're doing it just because the it's like why you climb a mountain um there would be a lot say, of yeah. interesting data like if you had a simulation like if you're in the twenty fourth century and you're simulating the twentieth century and you get to where like Without any advanced knowledge, the simulation's unfolding exactly to the way it's went. Like you know, you have uh, uh, the buildup of military power in Europe leading to the World War One, which led to destabilized economic conditions that set the stage for the rise of nationalism and World War Two, and this the the Great Depression, uh, further making people. W- and you could go and not just like look at the data in like hindsight sight, but then zoom in on individuals to see like what were the most what were the thousand things that contributed most to world war one or world war two Like that would be super fucking interesting to be able to just like uh look at history the way you can mri a brain like slice like get the the very like just track an individual's path through history or zoom out to see like trends regionally like that stuff would be so amazingly helpful
0: from a diagnostic model of what we should do next but I don't know, I guess. You know, I was jokingly kind of saying, oh, well, you take the simulations of the ancestors and you put them into bodies and put them in a park. What's to say we couldn't be, you know, combine that with the cyclical idea where, like, or the evolutionary idea where, essentially, we evolved to create a species that took us out and became its own thing, essentially an extension of humanity, which then recreates us, does very similar things with us, and it's in its own form right it's like it's still this what we would call artificial form mm-hmm. but it could be the creation of yet another further evolution like uh. evolution can almost you you start to get less natural selection and more artificial selection at that point right like, where do we want to go as a species or like not even oh well the environment constraints are such that they shape us this way but we kind of shape ourselves you know Interesting. And we create iterations of ourselves by kind of mining the past to create the future in a It'd weird way. It'd be kind of like, so it's almost like, uh,
1: uh, so these a- these AI are studying ancient humans by simulating them. By doing that, they're actually bringing them into real life. The same way, like, if we found right. DNA for a cave, like a Neanderthal, and we mm-hmm. reconstructed a, a Neanderthal, and, like, now we re-booted Neanderthal race on the human, like, that would change our history you know, like, like and they, it might change our future to change it change, our, it like change our how fe- would
0: that interact with us? And how would that change us? How would that change the Neanderthal? There are so many different interactions there. And then that's, that's that could a f- produce interesting results in both species for lack of a better yeah, term. Yeah. And that's, it's like an interesting
1: reiterative process where it's almost like a mixing of genes. Like, you know, it's a literal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Huh. That's pretty cool. I like that. It could be, I don't, I have no idea if they're going that direction. Uh-huh. This might be a much smaller, uh, concept uh for the world of this show but i don't know i think it'd be cool that's the thing the one thing i'm trying to do
1: is i'm trying to like because i made a lot of predictions and think like oh how cool it'd be if this i'm trying to not marry myself to those because yeah. i think in past time like you're gonna make a distinction between what they're actually telling you and then what you're extrapolating from because i think the the gap between those two is where disappointment lies because like if you got <laughs> a preordained like oh this must mean this but, like, right. I'm trying to keep in mind that there's, like, four or five different cool things they could go with this, and maybe even one that I'm not thinking of, and there's not a right or wrong answer, and I'm trying to separate between the things they're telling me for sure and the things I'm extrapolating because I don't want to get myself where I think that, oh, I'm I th- th- they have to do this or it's going to be shit. Because, honestly, I just, you know, and I still kick it around the like, I still kick around the, the Icarus factor. Like, there's so much obvious Icarus, like, this hubris and this, like, you know, trying to have everything meticulously planned and you warn him not to go fly too high or too low and it happens anyway. Like... Is that going to come true, or is it going to be the buffalo that runs amuck in the season two intro that literally just had a buffalo? Like, am I going to? Is that going to pay off by literally having a robot eagle flying to an afterburner? You know, <laughs> or is it into Serac's
0: quadcopter? Right, <laughs> or is, oh sky. my
1: god, there you go, <laughs> a flock of geese just 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 a uh, blood. He does have one copy of himself. It's in a quadcopter. He's brought down by a flock of geese. Yep, brought down Sully, and is going to bring down Serac.
0: I, oh, man. That's
1: uh but you know what I mean? Like that's like a where yeah. where' where's the Icarus factor gonna f- to fit in here?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh Hannah is up next. Says I've been in agreement with you about the lack of definition of what kills a host, and but I thought and maybe nothing, but in season one, Mave and Hector set fire to their tent to burn their bodies down so Maeve can be rebuilt without whatever vertebra kept her in apart. Uh, maybe the body can be destroyed, but the marble that's in essence the host is indestructible. I know it doesn't help explain why the sword cut through Maeve's chest put her out immediately, why Dolores can withstand several bullets with no issues, but perhaps host can't be killed. Um, yeah man like i also there's just so many differences between fire like you can go from like campfire to like you know jet fuel can't melt steel beams type of fire to like the what's Napalm. going on at the surface of a like a, a star or an atom bomb like you know there's burning there's burning to, like there's burning to death in a structure fire where you rec- you leave a charred corpse behind and there's burning the burning up in a crematorium crematory where you literally are turned into pulverized dust like there's a lot of degrees and, and that's where like you know when she rolls out like she was being burnt for 15 20 seconds like if she just sat in that car i think it probably would have killed her but she didn't so it's like and there's so much wiggle room for what can kill a host it does make like mave getting ran through the guts is what's really weird uh mm-hmm. why should that deactivate her at all? I don't know, man, because they needed it too. Um or it's a simulation and Serac was done with that iteration, what she got caught by, so like they just restarted her. It wasn't so much that she died. I don't know. I don't know, but good good thoughts there, Hannah. Uh Perseus has a question for us. The other day you brought up the hosts don't need to eat or drink. Um, but have we seen how they get power to operate? Are they nuclear? Do they plug in? Do we have ever seen this and I just missed it? I don't think so. I don't think so either.
0: Um I don't know what power source they have. Um it's seems- going with like a terminator kind of thing where they just have this nuclear yeah. uh, fuel cell in
1: them that directly powers their body or replaces their, you know, mitochondria. I I don't know. I because it's whatever it is, they can be deactivated in like a low power source for almost indefinitely. Hmm. They going to stand there without expending any energy and then you can wake them up and put them right back into service and they don't have to eat. They don't have to breathe. They don't have to do anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I, they haven't, they, they haven't answered that question. And also, uh, what powers Dolores, you know, like when she's in her erector set body versus what powers, uh, like a flesh and blood one is probably different. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stanislav. Stubbs and Bernard find Maeve's body with its core missing, standing amongst the rest of the hosts in a Delos warehouse. So the body Maeve occupies when she breaks into the Accusa operations and is killed in a sword fight it had to be created outside of Delos, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or it could be a simulation. No,
0: uh, I-, I think Ciroc, uh created her a body or it's a simulation, like you said. Yep. If Serac has the capacity to do that, then why is he using the Dalos equipment to create Maeve and Hector and decoherence? Um, that's, I guess, a fair question. He does... Well, the... Okay, so I've got an idea here. Um, The Delos... Or the Hector core is on site. So they pull the, the marble or the pearl right out of Hector's body, which is in the Delos facility, uh, and stuff it into a core and, and build him a body there. So that might be a proximity thing. I don't know about Maeve. But the thing is, is that Hector's body is in...
1: Indochina. The the And the Dalos the Dalos Corporation is in San Francisco. Can they I imagine they can just beam the data over? I yeah,
0: they could. So Ciroc can create Hmm. the pearls too? Maybe you just stumbled onto some key piece of information
1: or a key question. That's what Stanislav says is like either Maeve's first attempt to find or stop Dolores was in a simulation or this is a pretty big plot hole. Easily be a simulation. Why risk Maeve's core, a new body being created inside of a company that Serac knew was compromised by a host if he had the capacity to spin her up on his own? And it could just be that's how much confidence he had in the prediction and the model. Like it hasn't led him astray. So, I mean, he's literally controlled the entire world for the last generation based on this data. Why would he start doubting it?
0: Uh, I wonder if it has to do with capacity. Like, I wonder if he's got like a bed to print one host, and Dalos has you know multiple beds with a big facility, and they, he could just do it faster there. Trying
1: to flatten the host curve so they don't get overwhelmed by the the host creation yeah. beds. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. It's a question I don't have a good answer to. Uh, requires further study. Uh Vicky, I'm hoping you can help me figure out this semi-homophone situation, homophone rather, situation that we've got going on here that's been bugging me. Daddy Dempsey's company is called Insight. For those not reading, Insight spelled with a C. In the first four episodes, I thought the company's name was Insight spelled with an S, like Sight, because that's what the way everyone pronounces it. It's subtle, but we tend to put the emphasis on the first syllable for insight versus the second for insight. It wasn't until I saw the company sign that I realized it was insight with a C. Now, on the definitions, insight, of course, is defined as a capacity to gain an accurate or deep intuitive understanding of a person or thing. This is why I thought the company was named insight with the S because the company had all this data, more data, more capacity for insight. But the company's mm-hmm. actual name, insight with an C, meaning to encourage or stir up or incite events is what Brothers Frenchie do with the said data. So the name doesn't actually make sense until they get a hold of insights data. Why do they fuck with the so? Nah, it's it's you're right, because the the, the it has a nice dual meaning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and I also wonder if that has something to do with the two brothers. That the one the the you know, the one wanted to use it for insight to just see more about humanity to make it better, and one wanted to use it to push some kind of radical revolutionary agenda. And which brother did which as, you know, per our previous email. Yeah, could be. Finally, we have Tom uh, who has sent us quite a few feedback across quite a different uh, number of shows. He's a uh, therapist uh, in his his real job and is non-simulated. Well, maybe it is a simulation. We don't know. We all could be in Ooh, an that's... ancestor simulation. But Tom writes in that capacity, uh, He said the type of therapy that we've been seeing this whole season seemed to be an extension of gestalt therapy, which is often very active and imaginative. Gestalt therapy is most famous for the empty chair technique, where you have a client sit across from an empty chair and imagine someone in your life with whom you have unresolved feelings or issues sitting on that chair. Mostly, of course, their mom's or dad's. Then the client says all the things they want to say or wish they could have said to that person. It's a really powerful technique that can help clients process unresolved emotions, even with people who have died. We see Caleb use the phone version of this with his dead friend. And now we see William do it with his holograms of himself, which, if done right, could actually be interesting. But the problem, though, is that Caleb doing that work without a safe space or a therapist is very dangerous. That shit is sensitive and without support, you could get spit out. Or you could spin out, rather. And William is problematic because they're tricking him and forcing him to do it, which only creates deeper trust issues. And, you know, they fucking bailed on him in the mid-session. But also, they kind of cover themselves that this isn't great therapy. They're having U class therapists do it. So, (laughs) like, it could be shitty by design. They're trying to... Not trying to help William. They're trying to get rid of him. They're trying to spin him into uh you know insanity so they can justify locking him away. At least that's how I think it's happening, but uh I appreciate the the professional perspective and the information about gestalt therapy. I'm gonna sit I wanna get an empty chair out as soon as we're done with this podcast. Got some things to say to it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking chair. Uh if you would like to see if you'd like to join us as we go all the way down this season, uh send us email at Westworld at baldmove.com You can also join us on our forums, forums forums.baldmove.com. Follow along with us on all social medias. At Bald Move, don't forget, still got two episodes. Man, we had a really good instant instant, instant take and instant talk podcast this last weekend. Uh, It was a lot of fun, a lot of freewheeling stuff. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, uh, don't forget about the club, club club.baldmove.com, because every Sunday after the first airing of Westworld at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we take to the microphones, record a live instant take podcast, and then with our club members, we do the instant talk where we get their feelings and thoughts through the YouTube chat interface. Things a good time, not simulated. It's all reality, happening right before your eyeballs through the internet. Uh, that's all we got for this week. We'll see you next. Uh, see you this weekend for the penultimate episode and Tuesday for our full analysis. Until then, I'm Aaron, and I'm Jim. Have a great rest of your week.